Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Two Dudes in a Kitchen with Tyler Florence. And Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. All right, I hope you're hungry out there, everybody, because it's time for Two Dudes in a Kitchen. I'm Wells, and that is the beautiful (laughs) Tyler Florence. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Good deal. How you doing, bud? I'm good. I'm good, man. We're, um, you know, post Thanksgiving, getting ready for um, Christmas, and we're in the process of opening two restaurants right at the same time. So we've had a bunch of phone calls this morning with uh, Vail, which is coming along beautifully, and also Hawaii. So it's going to be a busy December, but we're really excited about it. Man, I don't know how you do it. All right. I'm just, I am in awe of it all. Well, I'm excited about today because, um, well, the carb lover in me, the sauce lover in me, the Italian lover in me is excited for the pasta episode. It's the pasta season. You know, as soon as the weather starts to get nice and cold and you start thinking about cozy food and nice, rich, luscious sauces and and kind of squidgy noodles that, that just sound really kind of comforting and, you know, something that can stick to your ribs. I think pasta is such a great dish uh, to start to make this time of year. And it's that thing that everybody starts to jump into, you know, it's like, it, it's easy to make, you can make it elegant, you can make it, you know, kind of friendly for the weeknight, uh, anything all works out. And I just love pasta. I love the theme of today's show. We got a lot to talk about. Do you have a favorite type of pasta you'd like to eat? You know, w- one of my favorite new pastas, I, I got a bunch of pastas right here. I just went through my cabinet before we got going today, but have you seen, uh, um, uh, uh, Cologne Pompeii? Have you seen these, these no. big gigantic uh, I, I think they're about a foot long fusilli. It's kind of it's all over TikTok, right? I've got a big bag of it right now. I'm showing Wells here, but uh, it, the, the the portion size is three noodles. That's how big they are. Um, but I think these are so fun to cook. You need a gigantic pot uh, because they'll stick out of just about everything. Uh, lots of salt and water, and they'll they'll take about. 30 minutes to cook all the way through. These things are gigantic, uh, but we call these silly noodles in the house. Uh, I, I just got a big case of them 
uh, from an online Italian um, sort of shop that we kind of pull some good stuff from, uh, Wanchale and all kinds of fun stuff for Carbonara. But I think these are so fun. It's just, it, it's it, again, it's called Cologne Pape, uh, C-O-L-O-N-N-E-P-O-M-P-E-I. And I've seen it spelled with two eyes. Uh, a couple of different ways, but I think this is my absolute favorite pasta right now. It, it's, it works with everything like pesto, you know, creamy, spicy vodka, Alfredo, lots of Parmesan cheese. Um, that is the jam, my friend. Can I ask a question that might make me sound stupid, but uh, I think that's kind of the vibe in this show anyways. Is, <laughs> is risotto pasta or is that rice? Risotto is, is, is a grain. It's rice. Okay. Yeah. So, so pasta is made out of durum wheat. Yeah. Right. Um, or, well, a couple of different kinds of wheat, right. But, but for the most part, uh, commercial pasta is going to be made out of durum wheat or semolina, um, which mm-hmm. is another kind of grain that gets ground down really, really super fine. And even like all purpose flour is made out of like durum wheat. And, and so it's, it's generally a combination of flour and then eggs, and then sometimes a little bit of salt and then water and then a little bit of olive oil. And you kind of make a dough out of it. If you you go on to the internet and look for pasta recipes it's like looking at stars in the galaxy there's hundreds of thousands of different recipes and everyone has their own little you know tweak on it on how to make it you know, a little more tender or a little more bouncy uh, i actually like a high egg yolk ratio pasta so our kind of what we call a benchmark recipe uh we in, in our restaurants and also in our cookbooks uh it's two cups of all-purpose flour Right. And then it's um, two whole eggs and then eight egg yolks. Right. So I use a little bit of the egg whites. I like the water in the egg white. I like the bounciness in the egg white, but I don't like to add too much egg white because I actually think it makes the eggs kind of tough where I like the fat from the egg yolk itself, which I think it makes a real kind of luscious, really soft, also bright yellow pasta. Because I think sometimes you see pasta, especially homemade pasta, it can be a little pale. I like pasta to almost have like a, like the color of saffron, just like really, really neon uh, yellow. And so obviously a choice of really good eggs um, makes all the difference in the world. But uh, again, my, my benchmark go-to recipe is going to be two cups of all-purpose flour, uh, two whole eggs, eight egg yolks, and then a pinch of salt and then a little bit of olive oil. And then sort of it's a classic preparation where you know, you put the flour down on the table, you make a well, uh, you add the uh, the eggs, and then uh, and with a fork you gen- uh, uh, gently start to stir everything together. And then you kind of knead it where it's nice and flat. You definitely want to let it rest. And then you kind of go through the same process of kind of rolling it out and then cutting it into shapes. And then w- what's your favorite flat noodle, right? You got a, you got a good go-to? Well, I really like lasagna, and I feel like that's a real big flat noodle. That is a big flat noodle. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, and there's no shame in like oven ready, um, you know, like noodles that just kind of come in the box and you make the sauce, you make the cheese and you kind of layer it up. I think Brilla makes a fantastic kind of oven ready pasta noodle that's already kind of cooked and then dehydrated and then just kind of ready for the, the you know, casserole assembly. Um, I think those are great. man. I love a good lasagna. Do you think that the home cook should be making their own pasta from scratch or do you think they should just buy it from the shelves? I think it's kind of fun. I mean, it, it's, it depends on if you really, if you like to cook or if you like to eat, right? And, and if you like to cook, I think it's kind of one of those fun things that once you jump into, there's a lot of uh, self-satisfaction with learning how to make a really good pasta, um, especially if you follow, you know, the, you know what I really like about millennials. I'm going to change the subject, but I'm going to come back around to this because the millennials love to cook, man. They really, really do. Like TikTok is just filled with like kids that just want to, you know, jump into the kitchen and start making some stuff. They're, they're fearless, 
I mean, sometimes these recipes, because we talk about them all the time, some of them are just ridiculous and some are kind of brilliant, um, but they really, really love to cook a lot. And then, you know, there's also no shame in the game of letting the grocery store do some of the legwork. Like I've got some other pasta here. Like this is a really good one. I literally tore through my entire pantry uh, today, right before the show. But I think this one's really good too. This is from a company called um, Rumo, R-U-M-M-O, it's an Italian pasta. And I think this is really great. Um, and it's it's actually uh, a great pasta that is, um, it's a parpadelli, and it's a fresh pasta that is also dried. So this one cooks pretty quickly, kind of has that that texture and that characteristic of really good, really good homemade pasta, uh, which I really like a lot. If, uh, if you're making your own pasta at home, the cook time is much different than that of store-bought pasta, right? Um, yeah. I mean like, so fresh pasta will cook in a matter of like 10 seconds or so. Right. Yeah. Where, where, where dried pasta will take sometimes about a half an hour or so. I mean, like, so it could really, you know, like no kidding, like, uh, like dried pasta can take, if, if you really calculate how long it takes for the water to come to a boil too, it's 35 minutes, right? So you mm-hmm. got a pot of water, you add some salt to it, and then you bring it up to a boil. That's 12 to 15 minutes. And then the pasta is going to take another 15 to 18 minutes to cook. So you're 35 minutes into like boiling noodles. Um, and, and so I, I think just it's, uh, it's something to think about when it comes to making really good pasta. But so, so if you get something that looks like it's kind of homemade and dried, I think that's going to cook up pretty quick. But then I think having, you know, a really great assortment of good pasta in the pantry is just perfect for this time of year because it's it says winter. You can make a thousand different sauces. Um, I like making sauces out of vegetable purees, too, which is really great. Right. So you can think about, yeah, like butternut squash. Um, If you, you know, cube butternut squash, saute it down with a little bit of onion, a little bit of garlic, some sage, add some chicken stock to that and then simmer it until it's nice and soft. Uh, Throw in a splash of cream, a little bit of Parmesan cheese puree that in a blender until it's butter smooth mm-hmm. and then toss that with pasta and parmesan it's fantastic Ooh, Bomb, one, thing, right? one thing that you guys taught me on worst cooks that i utilize a lot is i'll make a sauce like a like a butter or like olive oil sauce and i'll start with some anchovies and i know that sounds gross to a lot of people out there but you put the anchovy in the pan and you kind of like let it break down into like this like really salty goodness in the butter or oil and then throw in some some capers and some maybe some cherry tomatoes and maybe a little bit of mustard and you can kind of make this whole like hodgepodge of deliciousness and then just toss that into your pasta and that's amazing but one thing that i learned that i never knew i was going to need the information from worst cooks is the importance of pasta water. Tell everyone about pasta water. Pasta water is magical stuff. It really is because like when the pasta cooks, it extracts the flour into the water itself. Now, first of all, the water should be as salty as the ocean because the pasta has some flavor. It's got flour, it's got eggs. Uh, So if you cook it, you know, the, if you think about a, a chicken, for example, right, if you cook that in water, the, the broth is going to taste delicious and then the chicken has no flavor whatsoever. Uh, things like pasta is not too dissimilar, right? So if you, if you take pasta and just boil it in water, you're going to extract all the flavor out of it. But if you actually add some salt to it, you're going to, you're going to make the pasta taste good just by itself. So that's the first thing you got to think about. And then the second thing is, is the, the flour that get extracted from the pasta into the water is a beautiful thickening agent. 
Um, one of my favorite pasta sauces is just called burrofuso, which is like a, an Italian grandmother butter sauce, where you just literally start off with pasta water in the bottom of a pan and then mount butter and then Parmesan cheese, and it creams out. It's really, really luscious. It coats pasta really well. Uh, you can jazz that up with ricotta. You can you can even make it like super fancy with like black truffle oil and Parmesan burrofuso, which is fantastic. So I think that little kind of like like that element of, of being able to thin out pasta sauce if it gets too thick with pasta water or to let that reduce and thicken with pasta water. It's just magic stuff when it comes to making a really good plate of food. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner, and of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you had one pasta sauce to make for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Bolognese, man. 
Ooh. Just nothing. There's nothing better than bolognese, right? And and to me, like, uh, I, so I staged in Italy um, with um, a, um, uh, in, a really amazing restaurant in Florence called Chabreo, and 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 their pasta sauces were just magical because they they cook them down so long and they're so incredibly succulent and soft, almost like baby food, but it's just so just like creamy and rich and delicious. And bolognese sauce is not spaghetti sauce. Like sometimes, you know what I mean? If you go to a restaurant and they call it bolognese on the menu, but it's really like like bright red tomato and it's like yeah. acidic. And she's like, it's a good like spaghetti meat sauce, but it's not bolognese, right? So bolognese is like, uh, it's 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 either, um, you know, uh, uh, you can make it with all beef. There's no shame in that. But it's, it's either beef and pork or beef and pork and veal, right? Um, depending on, on you know, what um, what recipe you're, you're really kind of looking at. Um, and then it also starts off with mirepoix, which is going to be carrots, celery, onion, and garlic, and then herbs like, you know, like woody um, winter herbs, like sage and rosemary and that kind of thing. And then you start off with, so you start off with the, the vegetables and then you, then you add the, the meat or meats to it and you let that really kind of brown and then you add tomato and then it's generally milk and red wine. Right. And you add both of those and then you just kind of cook it down nice and slow for hours, right? Three hours or so until it's just nice and amalgamated. And it's so incredibly rich and delicious. And it really, and you got to cook it really, really slow. It's an all day thing. But I, I think from scratch, my favorite pasta sauce is bolognese, hands down. No, oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> so hungry. You're the pasta king. We got to bring in the pasta queen. Nadia, the pasta queen is here. Nadia, hi, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? Uh, very good. You're in Florida, right? Yes. Where in Florida are you? Tampa Bay. Oh, Tampa's great. We have lots of friends in Tampa. We're there all the time. Oh, yeah. It's very nice here. I love the seaside. That's where I am. Mm, beautiful. We'll get together next time I'm in, uh, well, next time I'm in Tampa. We'll, we'll get together. Yeah, come down. I'll cook for you. I would love that. Oh, my God. That'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Nadia, I got to know, how does one become the pasta queen? Uh, you just are. Really. <laughs> You're born yeah. with it, man. I can be a pasta queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Royalty. Yeah. Well, first of all, I have a little advantage because I come from a long line of pasta makers. As far back as the 1800s, my family started a pasta factory in the south of Italy. So I have a little bit of an advantage, but I think that also has to be followed by extreme... Um, technique and and making the food taste and look good and like the fact that people share it and they love the pasta and they found out that they can do it in a thousand different ways and it's always tastes amazing it's simple to make then you know that helps as well so you wait you grew up and your grandparents had like a like a famous pasta factory right it wasn't famous. It was a family pasta factory. Okay. It wasn't like the Checo or Barilla, um, but it was like a like a regional, the region of Campania. Um, they would supply not only their factory but also nearby factories with wheat because we have, we have a lot of land where we grow uh, and harvest wheat. To go from scratch, right? Specifically with your family. Now, was it a factory or was it a shop or somewhere to start out as a shop and then move to a factory? It's like a family factory, you family know. Family factory. 
Yeah, if um, you think about it in the 1800s, they didn't have huge machinery as they have nowadays, you know? So it was like a family factory that started in the village and we had such an overflow of crops that then the nearby pasta factories from Gragnano, the city of pasta, would buy the wheat from our family as well. Oh, I love well, then, that. So then you moved to the States. I got to ask, what were your first impressions of how Americans cook pasta and how and American pasta in general? Well, my first my first heartbreak was the Olive Garden, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but you get all the breadsticks. Yeah. And, and all the family. Salad. Yeah, exactly. Terrible, terrible quality bread. It's blasphemous. <laughs> it does not represent. Have you guys been to Italy? Like, do you know what the food tastes like? And the bread with sourdough that has hundreds of years mm -hmm. in families. It's, the quality is terrible. And, um, and then, you know, of course, Chicken Alfredo was my second heartbreak um, because it doesn't exist anywhere other than here. Um, maybe the UK. I think they have it in the UK as well. But it's uh, an invented recipe, which I which I respect because it's an Italian American recipe. But um, when then people come to Italy and ask for it, they will not find it. Yeah, you, you know, I, I've been all over the country of Italy uh, many times, and and incredibly passionate about it, especially around Campania, uh, where your family's from, or on Naples. Um, I mean, Southern Italian food is just so incredibly delicious and interesting. And then it kind of goes in through like waves and regions where the food uh, uh, and, and specifically the ingredients that they use dictate the food and the flavor. And it's all kind of incredibly different. Right. And everybody has I mean, their own like, but yeah, they're, they're I mean, sort of like, like small regional differences. Right. Yeah. I mean, Italy wasn't Italy until the middle of the 1800s. We were different separate kingdoms. So factually, Italy has been around for, what, about 150 years. Before then, they were like separate, like we had the kingdom of the two Sicilies, where, you know, Naples was kind of the head where the king was. And then you had the northern part, and then you had a lot of different mix of culture. Factually, the regions have completely different cooking, mm -hmm. you know, region from region, you can eat completely differently. And each region is very passionate about their cuisine and the way they, the ingredients they use and how they use them and uh, how to make risotto, how to make pasta and how to cook the vegetables. Everybody's very patriotic. Mm. Well, with, with good reason too, because like the, there's so much to stand behind because the food is just fabulous. Every time I go, I, when I feel like I need to, you know, emotionally, soulfully put some gas in the tank as a chef, <laughs> Italy is where I go. Right. And, uh, and we, we normally, we either go to Rome, uh, we, this, this past summer, we went to, went to France and, and met some friends there, but we usually end up going to, to Rome for two, if not three weeks every summer. And that's just, where I was born. Yeah. It's such a, such incredibly special place. I just, I really, really I just adore that city so much. It's kind of one of the cities I could live in and two <laughs> seconds flat, just like move there and go, okay, yeah. I'm home. I, I live here now. Uh, because the food is just so incredibly special. It's beautiful. And I, you know what it is? It's also like the, 
the vibe of the city. It's so vibrant and mm-hmm. it's so out there. It's like a it's like an Italian version of New York, I think. It's so aggressive and we are so outspoken, but in an affectionate way. I agree. Now, now I, I would say there's lots of different amazing uh, pastas that you can get in Rome, but carbonara would probably be, you know, w- w- one of the one of the big call outs, right? If the, you had emblem, to walk, the emblem of Rome. The emblem of Rome, right? So if you had to walk some, somebody through a, a traditional, uh, authentic carbonara recipe uh, from, from scratch, because there's lots of different, I, I think, misnomers or definitely there's lots of ways to get it wrong, for sure. Well, there's a couple of tricks to have have it right that I can give. You know, I mean, I grew up in Italian trattorias and obviously my family, big foodies and cooks. And really, I spent most of my childhood in my local neighborhood trattoria. And that's what they made all the time. But it's really used a lot of uh, starchy water, which I call the tears of the gods, which is really a restaurant technique that it's not really like a home cook um, type of thing that, that it's done all the time but it's you've seen it most on the restaurant and that's why I started bringing it out because I'm, a, I'm aware of restaurants doing it and professional chefs doing it but not the home cook so I wanted to launch it with my tears of the gods so I put a lot less pasta water than I would with any other pasta because I want my pasta water to be very starchy like the starch concentration needs to be high. Like a, a little bit of food science, starch itself helps break down the dairy protein. So it, it helps you into not having it clump up, which is what really happens all the time. And also um, the way you temper the eggs, you add a little bit of that very, very hot uh, boiling water to the egg and pecorino romano mixture ahead of time. And then using guanciale. I think guanciale, uh, because it's got like a nice fatty part that when you render, and it really helps make that creamy sauce and transform the eggs and the pasta water into this velvety cream. And it also helps you not scramble the eggs. Yeah, I love that. And guanciale specifically, why don't you tell everybody what that is? Guanciale is, uh, guancia means cheek in Italian. So it's this is the jowl of the pig and it's a bit more gamey in my opinion than pancetta, for example, which is like pork belly, right? It's the belly of the pig. Uh, guanciale is the jowl is a little bit more gamey, but it's really, really, uh, a strong character in the carbonara. Like you'll see if you do pancetta carbonara or a bacon carbonara versus a guanciale, um, the flavor is way sweeter versus the guanciale. It's very aggressive. It's very intense, you know? And it seasons um, similarly to pancetta, though, right? It's like salt, a little bit of sugar, yeah. black pepper, right? And then cured and dried. So it's like a dried, um, yes. uh, almost like a salumi, but it's really the, the entire jowl, the entire cheek the of, jowl, of the pancetta. The jowl pig of the pig, yes. Yeah. And it's, it's usually spiced. And salted and let it dry and just like you with prosciutto, you know? Yeah, and cut in a little cubes and when they render, it's almost like little like porky gummy bears. Yeah, I mean, I like to make like little tiny strips uh, about half inch wide. Um, I like the strips better. That's what I like. Mm. Um, mm. 
but I think it's very essential to use the fat that is rendered when you sizzle. A lot of people throw it away. I've seen it. Like they toss the fat. Um, of course, it depends how much fat is rendered, but that fat is what makes the sauce so special. That amalgamated with the eggs and the Picorino Romano cheese, and it's Picorino Romano, it's not Parmesan. Pecorino Romano only. It's a sheep's cheese, very different than a cow's cheese. Parmigiano Reggiano, it's a cow's cheese. It's still extremely delicious. I use it in almost every recipe, but it's not as strong and intense flavored as the Pecorino Romano. We use it from the Lazio region. Nowadays, you know, you see it in, being produced in Sardinia as well, but we use the local sheep's uh, Pecorino Romano cheese, which is so delicious. And it needs to be finely grated. That's one thing I also see, like on your box grater, you have to use the finest setting. It needs to be really, really uh, fluffy, you know, and tiny. So that like it snow. melts like snow. Yes. Beautiful. So if you're, you know, not a fancy chef like you guys are, what do you consider the <laughs> best store brand pasta if you don't have time to make it on your own? Okay, so this is a big misunderstood of okay. Italians that I've been asked and I've seen comments all the time. In Italy, nowadays, we don't make fresh pasta every time we have pasta. Fresh pasta is an occasion. Fresh pasta is a celebration. So we use, on a day-to-day -day basis, dried boxed pasta. I want to break, <laughs> debunk <laughs> this myth that here we are, every time we make pasta, the nonna is stretching the dough. No. Uh, you know, I'm a mother, I'm a businesswoman, and I come from a dried pasta maker family. We use dried pasta. It is convenient. It's, a budget, it's on budget. It can be stored for up to two years. It's perfect, and it tastes delicious. Mm -hmm. Also... Fresh pasta is done with a different type of wheat. It's a soft wheat. Dried pasta is done with a durum wheat, which means heavy, like harder. Durum means hard. And so the very al dente, just like you are, comes from using the dried pasta. My favorite in the U.S. that I've seen are Di Martino, Gentile, uh, setaro, faella, uh, you can get them anywhere. You go online and you'll find them anywhere these days. After I've made it popular two and a half years ago, now it's like pasta di Martino game in the US and mm -hmm. uh, 120 pasta shapes. You can get them now all over North America. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. During the pandemic, you started making TikTok videos and, you know, millions of people were watching your, uh, your recipes and stuff. Uh, do you have any new recipes that you can share with us? Butter and anchovies. Do you know about that? Delicious. It's, I was just talking about that. Gem. It's a gem from the Lazio region. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I love it. 
I know Americans are scared of the anchovies, but <laughs> I love anchovies. Good. I don't get that. For the life of me, I don't understand that. They're so incredibly delicious. Like, so you you have to finely chop them and then take the side of your knife and begin to like smooth them out and make a paste. But it just it it's more umami than it is like anything that feels fishy. Really I think they're doing great. God, does not it, it adds umami? Correct. Mm. And they are such a tender fish that even if you do not want to make a paste. You toss them into your bolognese sauce or your meat sauce, and they literally melt and disappear. No one will ever know. Yeah, it's so great, especially like fresh tomatoes, and then even in like more wintry flavors, it's across the board. Across the board, this literally adds that umami. It's it it adds that extra factor. And people have asked me that don't like anchovies. What did you put in your sauce? And I'm like. You just ate anchovies. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I ate a what? Oh my god! All right, so let's talk about TikTok for a second, right? So you're you're catching the world by storm. My wife is a huge fan, by the way. She was very excited uh, to hear about that you're you're going to be on the podcast today. Now, what, what does fame feel like, right? Like, what's it like to be the poster? Ah, come on! No, I want to know. You tell me. Like, what what does it feel like? It feels well, got to feel Bert good, right? Pete is famous. <laughs> I'm just a farm. I'm just a farm girl from the south of Italy that came to America, and I'm sharing my recipes. And I want to make everybody understand that pasta is simple; it's not complicated. That you can make it in you know, really a thousand different ways. You know this if you've been to Italy. There's pastas that are completely unknown. Every region you go to, you find new ways of making pasta. You're like, how many? Different ways can you make pasta? Like, mm-hmm. at, like at least ten thousand ways. And um, fame on TikTok. I mean, the thing is, yes, I have to say that uh, had I not joined TikTok and Instagram two two and a half years ago, I wouldn't I wouldn't be a published author today. Uh, I think that really launched me into the space, not only into the social media space, but now into the traditional media space and traditional entertainment space, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have been discovered that I not been on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. I mean, I think TikTok really is what started it all. I didn't even have Instagram when I started TikTok. I started TikTok in February 2020. And by the end of March, I opened my uh, Instagram account and I started posting on Instagram. And then I I feel like TikTok kind of like channeled and brought an avalanche of new followers. And I started from zero and now I'm at 1.8 million on Instagram and 2.6 million on TikTok and, you know, 800,000 on YouTube and blah, 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 blah. So you've got millions of followers on social media. You've got a best-selling book out. What's next? Are you going to start a restaurant maybe? Yes. So I actually like, okay, so let me rephrase it. Like, I really am very much my goal, my mission statement, my, you know, top-level view, You, if you want to call it that way, is to really brought bring the true essence of Italian lifestyle and culture to the world. The reason why I could open a restaurant tomorrow, I've been, I've been offered partnerships and licensing and, you know, from Tampa all the way to Los Angeles, New York and, you know, London. But then I'm thinking if I'm stuck in a restaurant, 
it's going to be hard to post content on social and it's, it's going to be hard for me to keep up with my community that I've built over the last two years that it's really spans all over the world. And I was thinking, what could I do? So the only thing I really thought that I could do was so that I'm there. I don't just want to give my name mm-hmm. and go, yeah, make a pasta grill restaurant. I'm never there. I don't like that. I'm Italian. I, I want to like walk around the tables and be like my nonna and say, why aren't you eating more pasta? Giorgio, bring some more pasta to this guy. You're skinny. You know, I want to be in there. I love the energy of being in the restaurant. So I think the only way I could do it is by doing pop-ups. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, pop-ups. listen, pop-ups are great. Restaurants are great. I, I, I do both. I would do them all the time. Yeah. If you ever like need any advice on on like the next big move to open up a restaurant, I think it's a good call to be honest with you, right? But from a from a business standpoint, because like you want, you know, there there's there's the idea of having it, it's it's a great spoke in your wheel from a business standpoint because when everyone you know wants to you know consume your content on social media and then you put out a cookbook and they'll meet you at that intersection and then you put out a restaurant and they'll meet you there too it's just another way to kind of connect with it tyler how do you deal with it because i don't feel it's good to not to not be present in the restaurant. I'm in my restaurants all the time. I have three oh, restaurants really? in San Francisco. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm doing two uh-huh. new. I'm going to have five by the end of the year. Like yeah, well, like like restaurants are restaurants are great. He doesn't sleep. If people want to follow you on social media, where do they need to go? The Pasta Queen everywhere. Like you go and Google me, Instagram, Pasta Queen Instagram, Pasta Queen TikTok. You, it's the Pasta Queen everywhere. And don't forget to buy her best-selling book on Amazon. Best-selling book. It's gorgeous, just like you are. And it's, you know, it really is beautiful. And I put a lot of love into it. And it was all created in, in the south of Italy. So it's got a lot of that warm light that makes you look so good. Well, Nadia, thank you so much for coming on. It's been wonderful speaking with you. And now, uh, as per usual, I'm hungry. <laughs> Nadia, great to meet you. Ciao, guys. Thank you for Ciao. having me. Grazie. Love you. Bye. Ciao. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just 
disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, listen, uh, Christmas is right around the corner. Do you have a pasta dish that you make for christmas dinner we it's funny you bring that up man um uh we've got the kind of a weird little christmas eve thing that i don't even know where it came from so in san francisco it's uh dungeness crab season starting mm-hmm. usually like right after thanksgiving and it kind of goes until february or march when the weather starts to warm up again but uh, have you had dungeness crab like barry yeah it's the world's greatest crab like, like, other than Alaskan king crab, which I think is just spectacular. Dungeon is just amazing. So it's kind of like our, our big season here. So we get a bunch of crab cracked and cleaned, right? I, I don't, because it's kind of messy to do it at home, right? So I'll get it from the shop. Um, I'll kind of cleaned up, ready to rock and roll. Warm drawn butter. Um, my wife likes this stuff called goop, uh, which is mayonnaise and mustard mixed together with a little bit of lemon juice. It's kind of like Ooh. the little dippy do thing for the crab meat, which is kind of good. And then um, uh, lo- lots of like lemons and we kind of go go at it like that. And then I also make a big lasagna bolognese. Like, and, and, uh, and, and she was absolutely right. Like fresh pasta in an Italian, re- if you go to an Italian restaurant, it is an occasion. Um, but I, I make fresh pasta sheets from scratch. I'm, I'll, I'll make a bolognese sauce. I usually make it the day before. So I has a chance to sort of just meld and just become really super bomb delicious. And then um, a, 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 um, a, um, a, a lasagna bolognese, right? It doesn't use red sauce. It uses bechamel. So it's like a white lasagna. And and it, and it's pretty stacked up. It's pretty tall, and so it's it's fresh sheets of pasta, and bolognese, and then bechamel, and then Parmesan cheese, and then you sort of stack that up over and over again until you kind of get to the top of the the baking dish, and then one more layer of bolognese, and then one more layer of bechamel, and then lots of cheese, and then you just kind of bake it until it's kind of it sets. It's nice and creamy. Last question. If you're uh, a listener out there looking to get into making pasta from scratch, what is one thing you need in the kitchen? Like, do you need this stand up stand mixer thing or 
No. I, I don't think you need the stand-up stand mix. I definitely think you need a roller for sure, right? And and now I, I, I've got one that costs $3,000, right? It's electric. It's got like gears on it. It's super fancy. Um, we're, we're actually we're actually uh, just got an extruder at the restaurant. So it kind of makes like tube shapes, which is really fun. But I think if you want to get a hand crank job that costs about 100 bucks on Amazon, maybe even less, that, that uh, clamps onto... Uh, the side of the counter where, so you, you want to, you want to make the pasta first, right. And then you want to wrap it up really tight and saran wrap and you want to throw it in the fridge and let it rest. You want the gluten to relax a little bit. Um, so if you roll it out and it starts to stretch, it stays there. If you roll out pasta that that has a chance to just, for the, for the flour to really fully hydrate and for the glutens to relax, as soon as you um, as soon as you roll it, it'll begin to seize back up again. It'll be it's, it's very rubbery at that point, right? So let it rest, um, and then cut it into you know discs, and then you know it, it's pretty self explanatory. There's a hundred thousand videos on YouTube if you've never rolled out sheets of pasta before, but it's super fun. My, my two our two younger kids are, are teenagers now, but when they were in like second, third, fourth grade, that was my go to uh, class demo. I would come and cook for all the kids and, and just roll out sheets of pasta. They were like, "What is this voodoo magic stuff you're doing, Dad?" And uh, and then yeah, and then and then you, the cool thing about the 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 sheeter is that you can cut it into fettuccine, you can cut into uh, linguine shapes, you can cut into angel hair. It comes with all these kind of fun attachments. So I think it's that fun thing to do again. And if you if you want to get into it, right? Listen, you can always just like I mean, I, I literally, like I said, I cleaned out my pantry today for today's show. I have I have twenty five bags of like all kinds of fun dry pasta here. No shame in that game whatsoever. But if you want to get into it and make something fun, and feel like you did it, it's actually really delicious. All right, I'm gonna go to the store right now and make myself some pasta. Yeah, dude. Two cups. Listen, two is it's my magic recipe. Two yeah. cups all purpose flour, okay. right? Two whole eggs, eight yep. egg yolks, Ooh. little pinch of salt, whip it together, high uh, egg yolk ratio. It's my benchmark. There's nothing better. All right. You heard it here first, everybody. Go make Tyler Florence's benchmark pasta. Dude, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. That was always, uh, delicious. Yeah, it was. it's always delicious. Two dudes in a kitchen. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes in a Kitchen. Make sure to write us a review and leave us five stars. <laughs> we'll take that. And we'll see you guys next time. See you next time. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.